Welcome to the Glow Getters Podcast. My name is Kayla Fahey Arndt, and I'm your host. I teach and inspire leaders to step into their productive selves and find their true potential. I'm a passionate creative and scientist with over eight years of healthcare leadership experience. At age 25, I stepped into my first management role and didn't find the leadership advice I was looking for. So here I'm giving you the tools to end burnout and enjoy a vibrant career and life. Glad you're here to learn and grow with me. Now, on with the show. Hey all, welcome back to another episode of the Glow Getters Podcast, or if you're checking this out on YouTube, thanks for watching. Um, oh my gosh, what a week. Uh, today I want to talk about public health. You guys might know that I have my master's in public health from George Washington University, and um, I've said before on the podcast, I want to share more public health stuff and mix it in with leadership stuff, and the time has never felt so right so you guys might have heard about Dante Wright, the Derek Chauvin trial. Maybe you've heard of Philando Castile. Um, I'm, I'm struggling because I'm totally safe. <laughs> I'm privileged and white. And there are a lot of people of color in the communities that I live in that are not safe. And I happen to have lived just a few blocks from where Philando Philando Castile was shot. Um, I also live in a city about um, just a few miles. It's like one, one, two cities away um, from Brooklyn Center where um, Dante was killed. And, you know, obviously the Derek Chauvin trial and everything that happened with George Floyd and his murder, that happened in Minneapolis, just a few miles from where I work. So, it's all really close to home. And so I want to take this opportunity to share more about public health and the different objectives public health has because it's related to um, inequities and structural racism. So a lot of times when I'm trying to have conversations with people about inequities, um, I'm thinking of like the big picture. I'm thinking about I'm looking at it through a public health lens, which goes all the way back and thinks about root causes for what's happening current state. So I'm thinking about the built environment, which is what communities look like, how they function. I'm thinking about socioeconomic status and how people have come to be in the place that they are in their economic stability or instability. I'm thinking, you know, way early at birth, the different risks different populations have based on their environment, their race, their sex, their gender, all of these things. And so I think that it's help, it might be helpful to explain a little bit more about public health and what it encompasses because that's really helped me come to figure out how to listen, learn, research, and improve. And I think um, as white folks, this is our job is to educate ourselves on what's happening in society. Um, we won't understand what's going on with different communities because we haven't lived that experience. And we can stand in solidarity with those folks, validate that their experiences are real. We need to stop gaslighting them and make them seem like their trauma isn't real. 
um, and we need to um, tell them, hey, we don't understand, but your feelings are valid and we stand with you and I'm here for you. And then we need to learn and educate ourselves and take action. So one of the ways I'm seeking to take action is to educate myself and then share more about public health and hopefully get more involved in my community. Um, you know, right now it's weird with COVID. So it's been this balance between like keeping myself safe, which is a privilege because I have a child, um, but also going out and making a difference and speaking up. I'm also doing some work with my colleagues at work. We have uh, two meetings a week called Anti-Racism and Equities and Inclusion, and we talk about different topics. It started talking about anti-racism, and it stemmed from different topics relating to understanding um, people who are transitioning and transgender folks. We talk about mental health. We talk about um, our own policies in the hospital and inequities. We talk about the challenge we face in, face in healthcare to try to take care of people in a way that feels good to them and not just good to you know us. We talk about racism. We talk about ageism, <laughs> sexism, all of it. So we're continuing to learn. We've been doing this since October of 2020. And uh, our organization <clears throat> has also formed a, a HOPE Commission where we talk about how do we do better by our employees, by the community, and how do we make sure that we build systems that are inclusive and diverse and equitable. So with that being said, I hope you will stick around for this episode. Um, these are uncomfortable conversations because we haven't addressed them and we live in a bubble where we feel safe when we go out and we're, when we're driving, when we're going to the grocery store. Um, but we have to realize and recognize that's not everyone's lived experience. So I want to give you some tools to start researching and uh, learn more about public health because that's where I have some knowledge. And I'm hoping to continue these episodes and expand on the different topics um, as time goes on. So I prepared a little slide deck to help myself, um, but I'm just going to talk and, and uh, share with you. So... First, I want to define public health, and then I'm going to share the five main social determinants of health and give you some tips for how you can examine and seek equity and policies in your life and where you work. So first of all, what do you think when I say public health? One of my guesses is you think back to 2014 with the Ebola outbreak, and you probably think of people putting on like hazmat suits and masks and goggles and like gowning up and donning and doffing all of this PPE. That's probably one of the first times you remember hearing the word PPE, personal protective equipment. That's a term that we use in the hospital and healthcare, excuse me, and like a mask is personal protective equipment. You're all familiar with wearing that now. Maybe if you're in Minnesota or any state really that has a mask mandate, you think of the ad campaigns that you've seen, people wearing masks. Maybe you see infographics that say, wash your hands for 20 seconds with warm water. Get tested when you're sick. Stay six feet away from each other. Wear a mask. Stay home when able. Work from home when able. Maybe you've even seen graphics that are like just like a vaccination or a test tube, right? This is all public health and health communications and marketing. 
maybe you think of a scientist who's like swabbing petri dishes in a lab. Um, maybe you think of a lab coat, right? Someone uh, looking at infectious diseases, and maybe you think of like, um, you know, any viral disease like West Nile, right? What I'm here to share with you is that public health is much more than just infectious diseases or lab work. Definitely part of public health, but there's so much more. Public health starts before you're born <laughs> with your environment, with your risks, and it begins and, uh, and that's where it, it starts. And then when you're born, it starts with, you know, your health at birth, your parents, um, what their lived experience is, right? What you're born into, um, your biological health, as well as your environmental health. And it includes things like clean drinking water. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about more topics related, but it's not just infectious disease. Public health also has like an advocacy branch. So we know from our experiences that if we want to make changes on a broad scale and that will benefit people and their health, we have to have policy change. What is policy? Basically, it's we have to change the law. Um, so I'm going to give you some examples of some policies and laws that have gone into effect that help people live healthier lives. If you're interested in learning more about the topics related to what is public health, the American Public Health Association um, has some great information and they have a like two minute clip-ish, two or three minute clip on YouTube. It's called what is public health? And you can find it linked at um, APHA.org slash what hyphen is hyphen public hyphen health. So I will link that in the show notes and you can check it out. Johns Hopkins School of Public Health defines public health as this. They say, in the medical field, clinicians treat diseases and injuries one patient at a time. But in public health, we prevent disease and injury. Public health researchers, practitioners, and educators work with communities and populations. We identify the causes of disease and disability, and we implement large-scale solutions. So public health has, I guess, two components you can think about. We do the research assessment and figure out like what is going on in the community. And then the second piece is sort of an implementation of a solution that can help with that problem. And then I guess if you wanted to add a third piece to that, you, it would be an evaluation. You'd go back and look and say, is this solution helping? And if it's not, you tweak it. If it is, let's replicate that in different communities and make it sustainable and long-term. So some topics that public health practitioners, and practitioners is just a fancy word for like people that work in the field of public health. They can be physicians, masters of public health, PhDs in public health, uh, all of the above, um, nurses, etc. Some topics that we cover would be thinking about, okay, here's the um, sort of the, let me phrase this in a different way. Let me give you an example. So gunshot wounds versus causes of gun violence. So a physician in the emergency room might be treating gunshot wounds, right? Versus public health practitioners, we go out into the community and we've tried to figure out like what causes are there of gun violence in this community. A physician might be looking at a premature birth weight 
of a newborn. But public health practitioners are going to be looking at the contributing factors that may have led to that premature or low birth weight. Physicians, you know, when you go to a doctor's office, they might be prescribing medication for your high blood pressure versus public health practitioners are going to be identifying links among obesity, diabetes, and heart disease to try to help the community prevent high blood pressure. Prevent, we mostly deal with prevention. We deal with health policy. We deal with causes and interventions, and we deal with finding equity. Now, you might say that your doctor has conversations with you about preventing high blood pressure, et cetera. What's been really, really cool, I'd say over the last 10 years, um, uh, especially since the Affordable Care Act back in 2010, um, healthcare has been more focused on population health and preventing disease. A huge reason for this is because if patients have better outcomes, the hospitals receive reimbursement or better payment from Medicare or Medi Medicaid, CMS, essentially. When patients don't do so well, they have poor outcomes, they get readmitted within a certain amount of time, hospitals eat that cost. So it's in our incentive to treat you better and to prevent you from you know, having a fall in the community and making sure you're safe. So there's more accountability now than there used to be. So I'll link to this in the show notes as well, but the APHA has a really nice infographic of the different topics that they spend their time on. And it's a huge list. Um, and so there's a few things on the list I want to point out. Again, when I say what is public health, you might think Ebola, coronavirus, communicable diseases, vaccines, Zika virus, right? These are, you know, all things you might think of when you think of public health. Maybe even think of chronic disease. So cancer screening, right? Um, that's a huge thing that we work on that is done on an individual basis, but also there's a lot of marketing towards groups of people. Women should get tested for breast cancer. Men should get their checkup so that they can identify if they have prostate cancer. We all need to get colonoscopies when we're you know, older so that we can test for GI cancer. So you might think of those things. Some less obvious things that public health practitioners work on would be gun violence, mental health issues, reproductive and sexual health, substance misuse, transportation, environmental health, health equity, suicide, immigrant health, maternal and child health, prescription drug overdose, racism in health, social determinants of health, tobacco. So this list is huge. Injury and violence prevention, lead contamination, school-based health care, global health, um, climate change, community water fluoridation. Uh, public health is so wide and vast, so much that I think it's confusing to people because I remember when I first was telling folks I was getting my MPH, they were like, I don't understand. Do you just, like, what do you do with that? And there's so many different ways you can get involved. You can be a community, uh, working community engagement and get the communities involved in building their own solutions to inequities or issues. Um, you can be an epidemiologist, someone who studies trends in health data. If you are familiar with the graphs you've seen on the news or on the internet showing, like, the number of cases of coronavirus or even the um, number of deaths 
Uh, that's something an epidemiologist would do. They gather data and plot it for you, um, do statistical analysis. <laughs> um, and then there's even advocacy, people who work with the government to make policy changes or policy recommendations. So there are like so many different ways that you can get involved in public health. One of my favorite classes was my environmental health class. And I had no idea this was a job. But one of the jobs that I was just like, this sounds amazing, <laughs> is thinking about the amount of green space in a city. So something I ever knew was um, thinking about flooding. Okay, let's think about like if it rains. And let's think about like your typical parking lot. Have you ever noticed that in between the cars, sometimes there's like mounds of grass and trees? Um, it's not just there to make it look pretty. It's so that the groundwater from rain can be collected and go back into the ground and fill the water tables. And then your parking lot doesn't flood. Like how cool is that? So one of your jobs could be designing green space and communities to help prevent um, climate issues. Um, there's even people who plan the type of grasses and different plants that go in like the ditch in between the two highways, um, because that helps with gathering rainwater. So there are so many different fields that you can go into and you don't have to just be a physician to do that or a nurse. Um, so one way that I have been really involved in public health over the last, um, several years is through the American Cancer Society as a volunteer. And one of our huge campaigns was around tobacco. So big tobacco companies were coming out with all these new different kinds of tobacco, um, especially smokeless tobacco. Like they had what looked like Tic Tacs and they were like flavored tobacco that you put in your mouth. Um, they had uh, flavored cigarillos or cigarettes that were like grape flavored. And they were marketed towards children. These are flavors that, and wrappings that look like um, candy. And so in 2010 in Minnesota, there was a Tic Tac Tobacco Act that was posted. I think it was form formerly, or not formerly, uh, formally <laughs> known as the Tobacco Modernization Act of 2010. And we worked really hard to get certain products banned or behind the counter instead of in front of the counter at gas stations. And now I believe in many states you have to be 21 years old to purchase um, tobacco. So we know from research that if you start, if you don't start smoking and, uh, by the time you're 18 or 21, you never start. So, you know, we know that healthcare costs are driven up by deaths or issues related to smoking each year. And I think back when I was doing that work, it was like $550 per person and every man, woman, and children, child in Minnesota, that was the cost of healthcare for the entire state for tobacco-related um, healthcare spending. So this helps keep people healthy, reduces the cost of healthcare, and um, then we can use that money for something else, right? We can all have it in our pocket or in our state budget and we can be healthier and live longer lives. So that's one example of um, how policy in healthcare can help keep people healthy and safe and reduce the cost of healthcare, which is huge and enormous for everybody. So I'm just curious, like what one of these things surprised you about 
public health, send me a message at Kayla Fahey Arndt on Instagram. Let me know, like, were you surprised to hear about maternal, maternal and child health or prescription drug overdose? Um, I don't think, I don't know if I mentioned it, but like immigrant health is another thing that we handle. Suicide, super near and dear to my heart. Um, I've had a friend who committed suicide. I think it was in 2017. Um, it was awful. And I ended up doing a paper on it for school just because I wanted to learn more about the problems with suicide. And if you look at gun deaths in the United States, uh, I think the majority of them, uh, it's like two thirds, don't quote me, but majority of them are suicide by firearm. Uh, so th these are serious issues that we need to do something about. So now I want to talk about the social determinants of health, which I think will give you sort of a a nice way to kind of bucket all of these different topics as you're doing research and learning. So there are five main social determinants of health, but um, if you look, like Google this, you're going to find like a bunch of different buckets. This is the one I'm using from the World Health Organization. They have an initiative. It was called Healthy People 2020, and then they redid it, and now it's like Healthy People 2030. Um, and it talks about the five social determinants of health. So the different buckets are healthcare and access, healthcare access and quality, neighborhood and built environment, social and community context, economic stability, and education access and quality. So these are like the three, the five buckets of social determinants of health. So social determinants of health have a major impact on people's health, well-being, and quality of life. Um, to dive deeper into these buckets, I'm going to give you some more specific examples. So safe housing, transportation, and neighborhoods. So let me give you an example about transportation because you're thinking like, what? <laughs> so I did a um, research project and experience with a clinic in St. Paul um, last year. Actually, yeah, 2019 and 2020 into the pandemic. And it's in a community that is... I guess you could say, quote unquote, underserved. Um, the clinic is run by residents, um, so physician learners. Essentially, they're MDs, but they are still learning. Uh, and um, they, this is a community with uh, many different types of folks in it. Let me take a sip of water. There's folks from Burma. Um, there's... Uh, some Somali uh, community members. Um, there's black community members, Hmong community members. Um, so different walks of life. And um, in this community, there are some sidewalks, but it's a, there's a pretty busy road that goes through it. They do have public transportation in the community, like a bus, or they do have like Metro Mobility, which is like a service you can call um, for, I think, elderly folks to take you to places. However, a lot of elderly folks don't understand or know how to use public transportation, and there are a lot of refugees and immigrants in this community as well who maybe don't speak English. So many of them rely on their children to set up transportation for them to and from the physician's office or their doctor appointment, but um, they're not able, always able to help them. Maybe the child is, you know, they're working, they're busy, they have their children to rely on. And so 
people miss their appointments because they don't know how to get to the clinic. Um, they're not able to find transportation. Maybe there isn't a sidewalk in their neighborhood. Um, they don't, they're not able to read English or speak English or they're not comfortable handling money or doing something on the fly. Um, let me tell you this crazy story, but it's real for these people. Um, this is a story from the clinic. There's uh, a group of refugee, f- uh, a family, and they had, we have a care coordinator at the clinic who is helping them navigate and show up for their appointment. And so he called them a taxi to get them to the appointment. And he described, like, here's what a taxi looks like, and here's how you get in it, and all of this stuff. Well, they didn't understand what was going on. So a, like, it was like a FedEx delivery driver pulled up in front of their house to drop off a package in the neighborhood. And this family didn't understand, like, that was not a taxi. And they climbed in the back and were found in the back of this truck, like, trying to get to their appointment. Now, to us, people who can speak English, read English, understand what's going on, we might think, like, that's very silly. But to them, like, this is a reality, especially if you're a refugee coming. Let's be, like, that's like me being transplanted in the middle of Turkey. Like, I would not know what's going on. So this can really affect someone's health. If you can't find a ride to your physician, you're not going to go to the doctor and you're not going to be in great health. Um, or it's not going to be safe for you in your neighborhood. How do you get food if you can't, if you don't have transportation or if you don't know how to order it, right? Um, another example of a social determinants of health going a little deeper is racism and discrimination and violence. Uh, another example is education, job opportunities, and income. Access to nutritious foods and physical activity opportunities. Polluted air and water and language and literacy skills. So there's a ton of research you can do on these topics to learn about discrimination, to learn about violence, to learn about polluted air and water. Um, You think about like urban areas um, with less clean air. Um, Actually, a lot of urban areas have a lot of clean air because they focus on more green in the environment. But there are some communities that don't. And you'll find in those areas, the children have asthma at a lot higher rates than where there's not polluted air. And so if you think about that, that has everything to do with the environment that these children are growing up in. So what can we do to improve that environment to therefore improve the health of these children? It doesn't have to be like this. And if you think of inequities, Perhaps if this polluted area is in an urban area where there are a lot of people of color and white folks who have more money move out to the suburbs um, and live in less crowded areas with less pollution, the children who have asthma are going to be children of color and the white children are not going to be as sick. So all of a sudden you have an inequity there. It's definitely something you have to dig into and think about and think back to the root causes of Why are certain groups more sick than others? So I hope you will go and look at the social determinants of health. Um, Google Healthy People 2030 or go on the um, CDC or the um, WHO or the World Health Organization and look that up and start digging around in there. So how can you apply public health concepts in your line of work. There are 
many ways to do this. I think in general, um, you have to start to think about it like this. Here's what I tell myself. I tell myself it starts with me. And then in my workplace, it starts with us. So we need to think about the different folks that we work with, the different folks that we manage or supervise. We need to have a certain mindset around human errors, human problems, human factors. And that includes identifying whatever implicit biases we have, any assumptions we make, and unlearning those assumptions and implicit biases starts with questions, what I like to call humble inquiry. So if you find yourself getting triggered by the actions of a certain individual, stop and ask yourself like, wow, I'm getting triggered. Like I'm getting upset. Why? And is it a bias that you have or an assumption that you've made? Um, I think about assuming you know someone's home life when you don't. We often like to think people are really similar to us. <laughs> so a good example is um, like assuming that they have a supportive partner at home to help get their children to daycare, right? So a good example would be like, I always have an employee, this is a hypothetical, but if I had an employee that's always late, I'd be really upset and I'd be thinking about my attendance policy and I'd probably be on them for being tardy every day. And then you start to think about like, what do I really know about that person's life, right? The job says you need to be here on time. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. However, everyone's situation is unique. So how can you work with that person to figure out something that works better for them so that they're not, um, so that they can actually comply with the policy, maybe changing their start time, maybe working on a more flexible schedule with them. I recognize this is not always possible, but I think it needs to happen somehow, some way, because so this person's tardy all the time, you know, maybe five minutes late here and there, and you decide to let them go. Well, maybe that's they're the only person at home that can provide, and now they're out of a job and they have children to take care of. So really learning about your people, understanding their situation, and um, empathizing with them, getting in their shoes, talking with them. Um, another really good example of a policy we've looked at at work is, um, so I talked about our attendance policy, is our holiday policy. And I think I've mentioned this before, but asking ourselves, is this inclusive and equitable? Our holidays are strictly Christian at work. There is a mention of Ramadan, but we don't have um, any time off the folks can take for it. So how do we be flexible and help people be able to take the time off that they want and deserve um, and still be able to work with us, work together, um, collaborate with other peers and make it, make it work for them? Um, we also had an experience where we were running a clinic where the staff, um, we ended up having all of the same type of people working together. So that doesn't sound bad, right? Like all of us are the same and we work together, but really it fostered essentially segregation. So we found that some folks like to work with each other and some folks didn't. And what we realized is, is that's a result of some implicit bias that people had about each other and maybe even some racism that people had with, um, towards other folks. And so just for ease, leaders started just assigning people to work in certain areas where they all got along. We thought that would be good, right? People thought that would make things smooth things over. 
But really what it led to was segregation. And then it was very obvious <laughs> that we had done the wrong thing. So looking at things that maybe seem okay, aren't okay when you start breaking them down. So, you know, asking yourself what barriers are in the way of folks being able to do their jobs? Um, where is their value in the process or policy? Where is their waste or inequities in the policy? Is this policy equitable? Is the policy being enforced or implemented as intended? What can we have learned? How can we do better today? Do we have a representative group at the table when we're making decisions? Do we have people who look and think like the people um, that are being affected by this policy at the table when we're making decisions? So doing this um, takes creativity. It takes teamwork, but it avoids working in silos. It's very grassroots, and it requires a lot of listening. And I think that's if that's something you take away from this um, talk today is we all have to learn. We all have to research, we all have to listen, and then we need to reflect and improve. And we do that all over again, all the time. So I hope that this episode has given you a little bit of uh, somewhere to start to look for um, different topics around public health and help you attack or look at or maybe deconstruct um, different issues around structural racism or inequities or um, inequitable uh, health policy or environmental health, whatever you want to look at, maternal and child health, um, opioid abuse, all of that through the lens of public health and then understand the root cause issues to those things and that it's always like seven layers deep, right? Like what everything appears on the surface is not what it is um, at its root. And then how can we work on sharing that narrative and then um, improving and solving at the root cause of the issue, even if it's in small and incremental change. So, all right, I'm done rambling and done teaching on this. I hope to expand on it more. If this is helpful, if you like this episode, or if you have a comment about it, um, I would love to hear from you. Again, send me a message, a DM on Instagram at Kayla Fahey Arndt. Um, I'll have that linked in the show notes as well because I know my last name is super fun. So um, I would love to hear your feedback. And uh, until next time, you guys, take care and be a light in the world. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Glow Getters podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give me a good rating and review. I would so much appreciate all the good feedback you have for me. If you like this content and you want to get some more of it, maybe even see me <laughs> and watch some videos, you can check out my YouTube channel. Just search Kayla Fahey Arndt and you should be able to find my channel, which I call the Leadership Collaborative, which has tons of great information on leadership and tells you a little bit more about my Leadership Collaborative community that is always enrolling at the end of each month. All right, everyone. Thanks so much again. I hope you stay well and safe. Be a light. Talk soon. Bye.